And so that's where relationships just keep blowing up. That's where they keep getting hurt. When really five years ago, what they should have done is just taking the time to forgive their partner. Oh, wow. Okay, so let's unpack that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I didn't, I didn't expect you going there with that. They, sh- they should have What's good, everyone? This is Anthony, and you're listening to Shout Out to My Teacher. This podcast features a range of different people who share about the teachers, coaches, mentors, and role models that have inspired and influenced them, as well as a range of other topics, whatever catches our attention. My guest, Rocky Lee, is a relationship coach. You can check out his work at claritycoach.ca. We talk all things relationships in this episode. I start by asking what a relationship coach does and how Rocky became one. Our conversation goes into the importance of being clear about what you want and the difference between compatibilities and commonalities. He talks about what photography taught him in noticing details. He also shares about different things he's observed from the need for forgiveness in broken relationships to patterns that he's seen in couples to how we've lost the art of listening to the impact of COVID in relationships. This is definitely one of the most enlightening episodes and there's so much good wisdom about life and relationships from Rocky, the Clarity Coach. Shout out to photography master Don McGregor. If you like this show, please consider subscribing, following, liking on whatever platform you use to get your podcasts and on social media. At the core of this, this is a fun passion project for myself. I get to learn a lot and I hope you do too. So enjoy this episode. Uh, shout out to my teacher, Rocky Lee. Hello. Clarity Coach. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for coming. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to pick your brain about a lot of different things about relationships and how you work as a relationship coach and what you do. So right off the bat, tell me about yourself and what you do. So... Yes, so so I am Rocky, Rocky Lee, and, Rocky. and <laughs> <laughs> what a great name, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I, I my name came before Sylvester Stallone's Rocky Lee yeah. too. <laughs> 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 um, so I um, my name is Rocky, and I am a relationship coach, and uh, my office is based in Richmond, mm-hmm. uh, but I do work with people around the world, and essentially I work with people who um, want and desire real deep meaningful relationships and i work with three different types of groups of people i uh work with singles who want to get married mm-hmm. so i i that's my cutoff i, I don't work with people who just want to date mm-hmm. or want to hook up i only work with people who want to get married i work with couples who want to actually heal their marriage or to take their marriage to another level. Mm-hmm. And I work with those who are divorced, who are basically have ended or going through a process of ending their marriage, mm. but they really don't want to be stuck. They really want to move, move forward, forward in life. Okay. Interesting. And the, your website's called Clarity Coach. Uh, right off the bat, can you just let us know what your Instagram handle is and where we can find your resources? Yeah, uh, good question. I think my Instagram handle is the the real... Um, Gosh, that's a really good question. <laughs> I just, I just know I have an Instagram. You know you I, have. I, I, I don't. <laughs> I don't even know what my handle name is. All right, let's see if we can figure this out here. Um, this is, this is funny. Yeah, I, I think it'd be just a good idea right off the bat. Okay, here's my Instagram handle. I am the Clarity Coach. At I am the Clarity Coach. Yes. I'm the Clarity Coach, and your website is claritycoach.ca. Claritycoach.ca. And that's where you can find all your resources about uh, the stuff you do and how to contact you and 
um, kind of the philosophy and way you approach things. That's right. That's right. Okay. So not many people get a chance to meet a relationship coach. Like I, th- <laughs> I think of therapists. I think of people who do uh, counseling. I have a couple of friends who are counselors, etc., yeah. and they'll work with different people who have various mental health problems. Yeah. But you're the first person who I've ever met or heard of that's a relationship coach. Yeah. And what what distinguishes a relationship coach between a therapist? Yeah, great question. So so typically when we look at counseling and therapy, mm-hmm. these are wonderful wonderful practices that we have and, and the people that do those jobs I I could not ever do. They mm-hmm. they just they're so good at what they do and they're so needed in our society. But the main distinction is that you know, counseling and therapy uh, a counselor and a therapist will surround you with tremendous safety and comfort mm. so that you're able to unpack trauma. Okay. 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 And the difference now for me as a coach is that I'm not there to build comfort for you. Mm-hmm. I'm there to build uncomfortability for you because my job is to bring you to results, which actually needs uncomfortability. So my job is to help you come to an understanding of what your dream, mm-hmm. your want or need is in life. And then we reverse engineer that process. We figure out where you're at now in relationship to that dream. And now we're going to figure oh, out okay. why are you stuck? How come you're, you've got this amazing dream that you just told me about, but you're unable to get there? What's okay. actually holding you back? So let's say I have a dream. I want to, um, I'm going to use a funny example. Uh, Get married, picket fence, dog, yeah. two and a half kids. Yeah, yeah, perfect. <laughs> uh, suburbia, stuff like that. I get that a lot. Paying job. Yeah. And so you'd work with a couple, oh, sorry, an individual and challenge them and unpack the steps that they need to get there as opposed to a therapist where it's creating a safe space for an individual to unpack what they're feeling yeah. and what they've experienced in the past to help them understand that. That's right. Okay, so it's like you're kind of confronting them and challenging them to move forward rather yeah. than, um, well, I mean, I guess part of it, you do have to create a, a safe space for them to be vulnerable it's, at some it, point. It is a safe place, but but primarily my clients are coming to me because they're at the end of their rope. Okay. They're okay. like, I'm done with this. Like, mm. I know that I'm stuck mm-hmm. and I need somebody to push me forward. Okay, so you're a pusher. It, it not I, I would say that That's like a mean girls reference what, yeah yeah so I'm not so much a pusher as I would if I could put an analogy to coaching I'm literally like a boxing trainer ah okay I'm the okay. person in your corner that's observing how you're fighting with your component mm. with your opponent I should okay. say okay and I'm letting you in on the insights okay okay does that make sense that so makes when sense. I when I notice you boxing somebody and I'm like dude why are you holding back your punch yeah. What's going on? What's right, the right. fear there? Mm-hmm. That's that's my job. Okay. And then you work with that boxer's punch or that person's dreams and say, you really got to push and uh, complete your punch and don't hold back on yeah. that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's a great analogy. I yeah. really like that analogy. And so how did you end up becoming a relationship coach? What What <laughs> got you there? And how did you figure out there was this need or market if you will, for this yeah. service. Um, so it starts back years ago when I was doing ministry. I was helping out some married couples. Okay. And as I was helping them out, I was 
I was confused by why these married couples were struggling because they, they all went through premarital counseling. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't figure out, wait, like if you went through premarital counseling and you're getting some counseling on the side, why is this not working out? Hmm. And I began to kind of do a deep dive into premarital counseling. And this is really within a church context. Okay. Because that's kind of really where premarital counseling is a little bit more more popular. Right, right. And I realized that our premarital counseling was outdated. Okay. That, that it wasn't serving the modern day couple. And a lot of that, I I think, and these are just my assumptions to it, mm-hmm. that a lot of our premarital counseling that we used to use in general as a church were, were basically developed in a time and age in the 60s and 50s and 70s where marriage was a predominant thing. Other than having a career, really marriage was already the the, the top of the po- totem pole that everybody wanted. Mm-hmm. We're now in a society where that's just not the case. Marriage is a... Uh optional thing it's exactly it's an optional thing society we're pursuing career more right so we're marrying later in life Mm -hmm. and we don't have a framework of a family much anymore either Mm -hmm. so we most of people are are are, they're coming from broken homes already Mm -hmm. in their previous um in their family history so there's a lack of understanding in that area i began to realize that what couples were missing were skills and tools Couples are missing skills and tools on how to just communicate, uh, okay. how to process thought, um, and and just missing other tools that are pertinent to having a healthy relationship. We weren't actually doing a very good job in teaching that in general in the society, in society. and just preparing people for what a healthy relationship should have, or be right. like, or behave like, or have an attitude towards. So I began a process of developing a premarital course. Mm-hmm. That if if I could create the ultimate marriage course to prepare somebody for marriage, mm-hmm. what would it entail? So I designed that course. Then I did a test run on it. I did field testing on it. Mm-hmm. And I began to realize that the people that were ready for it were ready for it and they did well with it. Then I realized another problem. The other problem was that people who are married, they didn't understand who they should have picked for marriage. Oh, interesting. So now I realize that it's not just a skill issue that they were lacking in communication or in understanding how to formulate a healthy relationship. The other half was that when they were dating, they didn't understand who they should have dated in the first place. So there's a bit of a lack of discernment, a lack of tools of discernment for understanding how to pick the right mate. That's right. Early in the stages. So now they've gone to this point where... Now they're in the middle of marriage and there's this realization of this, I might have made the wrong choice early on. Exactly it. Exactly it. And so I had to develop a singles course Mm. and I developed my own profiling technique to help people understand how to profile um, a partner based on a need and not a want. Profiling a partner based on a need rather than not a want. So can you give me just a bit of a one or two examples that illustrates that. Yeah, I'll give you a really simple one that I think everybody will understand. So imagine like I had to go to a high school reunion, Mm -hmm. right? Uh Uh-oh. And and so (laughs) so imagine that who would I want to bring as a date to a high school reunion, right? So a want would be like me saying, I would love to bring Angelina Jolie as a date to my high school it's reunion. a great choice, by the way. <laughs> right? Okay. Yeah, right? Okay. So so that would be a want. The problem is I would never want to marry her. 
Oh, because you're bringing her. Well, the kids would say clout, but you're bringing her just to look good. Yeah. Bringing her for the clout. That's a want. That's a want. A need is the person that I'd want to bring home and introduce to my mom and dad. Right. Okay. So it's very different. So what we want in terms of attractiveness is a completely different characteristic of a person versus what I need in a marriage partner. Mm -hmm. These are two different things. Mm -hmm. So just because a person has this type of quality as a want mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily mean that they're actually going to be the best fit for me for marriage. Mm-hmm. So in your singles course, you started fleshing those out and yeah. developing techniques and tools for discerning how do you separate between your needs and your wants. That's right. That's right. Ah, okay. it's, it's what I call compatibilities versus commonalities. Okay. okay. So commonalities are things that we typically do to start off of a relationship. Mm-hmm. We were looking for attraction and chemistry, mm-hmm. right? Those are commonalities. So if I run and I meet a girl that likes running, that's a commonality. But compatibilities are different because compatibilities are based off of values. Okay. Okay. Now the difference between commonalities and compatibilities is one simple thing. Commonalities will change over time. Just because I like running right now mm-hmm. doesn't mean that in five years I'm going to like running. Right. I may hate it. Yeah. Yeah. So what happens if I built my relationship off of running? Right. So and what if my partner wants to stay running and I don't? Yeah. And if that's the core of your relationship, then what was it to begin with? Exactly. Yeah. Now, compatibilities are based on values and values never change. Hmm. So as much as we'd like to think that we change our values, we can't. At the most that we can do is make our values palatable for our partner. So for example, um, I'm Chinese. I love rice. I'm never going to stop eating rice. Right. That's just a value uh, that I have. I, it's never going to change. Because rice is life, I can right? eat less of it, mm-hmm. but I'll never stop eating it. Mm-hmm. It's a value. Another value is, is stemmed from our culture, our upbringing. Mm-hmm. So for me as a, as a Chinese person and an Asian person, in, in, um, I have already a cultural responsibility. Uh, it's my duty to take care of my parents. Right. Right. And and in our Asian culture, it's my responsibility to have my parents live with me. Yeah. I'm not going to be able to shake that. Yeah. I can't change that. That's just inbreded in me. Right. Right. These are compatible things that are built on values and these values don't change. Right. So if I build a relationship with somebody who has competing values. Yeah. That makes the marriage very difficult. Mm hmm. Versus if I start profiling based on a value, mm-hmm. now I can locate people that make sense in my life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that becomes a healthy, compatible relationship. Yeah. As I listen to you, right off the bat, it's really interesting how we use the word profiling because profiling has a bit of a a dirty connotation. <laughs> it kind of does, yeah. It does, if you think about it, <laughs> yeah. with today's day and age. But that's that profiling as you discern and you try to figure out who your life partner is going to be is a really important uh, skill that's to be developed that we probably lack or we weren't taught. And um, and I guess the clients you have, just they don't have that ability. No, and, and I think what it is is that one of the common things that I hear from my single clients is, you know, Rocky, where do I find these guys that I want to marry? 
or where do I find these women that I want to marry? Mm-hmm. And I say to them all, I give them all the same answer. And the answer is really this. Look, statistically, the numbers are in your favor. Hmm. There's 37 million people in Canada. Hmm. Even if you take half of that away as male gender or female gender, that's still a lot of millions of people, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? So the numbers are in your favor that you're going to find a partner in life. Mm -hmm. So the issue isn't about where. Mm -hmm. The issue is what are you actually looking for? Right. So what it tells me is that people are not clear about what they want in life. Therefore, they're not clear about the qualities that they're looking for in a person. Right. And therefore, they're not able to attract that person into their life. So then with the singles coaching, then it becomes a defining what that person wants in life and working with them uh, and kind of pushing them to clearly delineate these are the things I clearly want in life. And I, you better start working towards that if you actually want to get to the dream you want yeah yeah so so again that's why i only take clients that really want to be married Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and because that distinction removes half the people that you would normally have tried to date with Mm. right so there's one of the problems that um it's it, it saddens me when i see this is when we meet somebody that we're attracted to but we never have the serious meaningful conversations right in the beginning of the dating process Mm. so what ends up happening is a single person will meet a person get attracted never have those deep meaningful conversations then over time which ends up becoming somewhere between two to three years Mm -hmm. they start to introduce the conversation about getting married Mm. not realizing that the person that they dated never wanted to get married in the first place right so now what are you stuck with you've invested three years of your life in a relationship with a person who never wanted to be married. Right. So now you're left with, well, I hope this person changes. Mm. Or how can I make this person change so that they want to marry me? Right. It's near impossible. Yeah, yeah. You can't Because that's that. just the way that that person's values is already yeah. constructed. Yeah. So that's a lot different than, than you coming up front, attracting the right characteristics in a person and saying, hey, listen, I'm going to be honest with you right from the get-go. I really want to get married. Mm. And if you're not into that, not a problem, no judgment. It's just I just want to be honest with you that I'm really looking for a meaningful commitment and a Mm. meaningful relationship that leads to something marvelous in the future. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have that in mind, if you're just looking for a booty call, then I'm not your person. Mm. But people got to be really upfront about that. Absolutely, I, and, and I don't, I don't see any reason why we 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 don't get upfront about that. Yeah. And I think that's where it, we would have saved years of hurt and pain if yeah. we had just simply been upfront about things that we want, things that we need, yeah, to make this relationship healthy. Why? Why do you what? What do you think holds people back from being upfront? About what they want. They're not clear about what oh, they want. They're just not clear what they want. Okay, <laughs> yeah. this is what we said earlier. That's, that's really what it's it comes down to. Well, yeah. And, and when we're not clear about what we want, we'll, we'll actually tend more to be fearful. Ah, uh, okay. So when we talk about the word confidence, yeah. if you actually think about this, confidence is a sim- simple thing to have. Yeah. Because confidence is completely predicated upon repetition of a skill. Hmm. That's all that confidence Mm -hmm. is. So if I lack confidence, it just means that I haven't done enough. So if I lack confidence in saying, in meeting new friends, Mm -hmm. all that means is that I've not 
said hello to enough people. Right, right. You haven't practiced the skills. You need to make new friends. That's all. When it comes, and it comes down to just saying hello, building rapport in a conversation, building commonalities when you're talking to people. Exactly. That, wow. That's that's yeah. all it means. So when I'm clear about what I want, mm-hmm. and I can actually voice what it is that I need. Yeah. Now I'm confident in what I'm looking for. Right. And and I'll know who I should spend time with and who I don't need to spend time with, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So think of it from this analogy: like, if you and I wanted to start like a uh, like an A and W, and we have more than enough intelligence in between us to be able to run the business, but we don't have any working experience to run food management, mm-hmm. we'd have to hire a manager to do that for us, right? Who has that experience, right? So yeah. we would post up an ad. And have people send in their resume. Mm. Let's say we get 50 resumes. How do we whittle down 50 resumes to the five that we should really interview and to the one that we really want to hire? It starts from a working criteria that you and I would have. Mm -hmm. We just don't do that in a dating situation. Mm -hmm. We don't have a working criteria of if I'm in a room full of like 50 women, how do I know which five women I should really spend the most of my time and energy with. Mm. So if I don't have a working criteria, I'm going to feel like I have to talk to all 50. To figure it out. When when really all I need to realize is like, nope, these five right here, yeah. they have already the working criteria for me. Now I just need to double down and figure out out of these five, which one would be the best fit for me. And that's a time-saving thing also because getting to know 50 people is time oh it's It's daunting a lot of time it's daunting it we were talking about this just right beforehand but in a way you're you said it's kind of like you're figuring out this goal the goals for an individual and you're reverse engineering and the way i relate to it in the education context is that well we have our standards and report cards and rubrics that we use to assess a student that way we know um in a time efficient manner about what they the standards they have and what do they need to work towards in a skill so example in an essay we lay out um the different the markers for what a good what good writing conventions are that's right and then give them a grade and so what you're doing then is you're coaching individuals to develop a working criteria of what they want but that starts with understanding of what they want that's right yeah. Uh-huh, so it starts okay. with understanding who you are yeah. and what it is that you truly want in life. Yeah. And then out of what it is that you want in life, what do you really need mm-hmm. to make that mm-hmm. actually come to life? Yeah. And that's about bringing clarity to yeah. that person. And that's why you call yourself the clarity coach. The clarity there coach. you go. That's, such a, that's so <laughs> cool. Hey, there you go. Okay. Anyway, what did years, I want, I want to, for this conversation, you started working uh, in different ministries, in yeah. different parachurch organizations, and as a photographer. Yeah. And I guess the experience in those areas have helped you to notice the details in life. That's what, at least what your bio yeah. says. Yeah. Uh, what did those years teach you in noticing those details? Like, what are the lessons learned in working on those organizations and a photographer that? help you as a relationship coach today? Yeah, what I'm looking for are details and everything that I've ever done in my training, whether it be through ministry or as a professional photographer, Mm -hmm. is really about noticing details. Mm -hmm. 
when I'm doing ministry in the past, my past training was really about noticing where people are hurting. Okay. Can we just pause for a second? Yeah. Can you take us through the different organiza- ministry and organizations you've been associated with? Oh, so many. Yeah. Um, like I think I've ministered with pretty much every denomination in North America. Um, yeah. Uh, so every denomination I've been a part of, um, trained uh, biblically from uh, a Fellowship Baptist theological mm-hmm. school, uh, did my practical training of ministry through Vineyard and through YWAM. Oh, okay. Um, did extensive training in um, basically hearing God's voice mm-hmm. through uh, organizations such as Samuel's Mantle, Enlisting Prayer Community. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are, I would say, the the core parachurch organizations that I really were a part of. Mm-hmm. And then from there, uh, you know, then I, I became uh, a professional photographer and I was a part of massive associations there, the Professional Photographers of America, as well as the Professional Photographers of Canada. Yeah. So I was part of those associations. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And so um, those years have sh- taught you to notice the little details. What are some of the lessons learned from those areas that kind of show himself in yeah so like from a again from a a more a christian church background really those experiences taught me about just how to hear how how to hear people when they're in pain Mm -hmm. when they're actually hurting yeah and listening for the hope that they're looking for in life whereas as a as a photographer I was privileged to work with one of the best, and and he's actually the highest ranking master photographer in Canada and in the states. Okay, and it was interesting working with him. His name is Don McGregor. Okay, and a wonderful is- friend of mine, and 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 uh, boss and mentor. Mm-hmm. You know, and these are know. the this is a teach the one of the coaches and mentors and role models that taught to you hey that's right that's right don mcgregor don mcgregor you gotta say shouts out to don mcgregor yeah 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 check out mcgregor photography it's it's awesome awesome work yeah but it was it was so beneficial for me to work with don because don was so gracious when i started working with him he mm-hmm. recognized the potential in me mm-hmm. but he never brought any criticism uh-huh. and so about a half a year into working with him i realized i was plateauing as a photographer mm-hmm and and so I realized, okay, if I'm gonna grow, I'm gonna have to invite Don into critiquing me. Mm-hmm. So I ended up. Uh, what I would do is I made a deal with Don that that every week I'd bring an image to him, mm-hmm. and all I wanted to know was one thing, mm-hmm. and that was what's one thing I could have done differently with this particular photograph that could have made it into a masterpiece. Ah, uh, okay. And so every week, I think for the first. Three months, he would just say, hands, deal with your hands. What do you mean by that? So it was about posing hands. Oh, okay. Yeah, and it was just understanding how to pose male hands and female hands, right. how to how to pose it as an individual, how to pose it within a group, and then it changed, and then oh. he talked about um, sitting posture, and then he talked about facial expressions. <laughs> And and every time he would give me a critique on this, I would just go and and work it in my next sessions. It, and what I found was, life is all about details. Mm-hmm. And when we don't take the time to be self-aware and pay attention to the details of our life, we we miss opportunities where we could apply change that would actually bring transformation, that would actually bring 
the existence of our dream into life. Right. Right. And that's, that's what photography taught me was to yeah. pause and to take, you know, really uh, take note of the details. And as a photographer, I started off in the film days. Mm -hmm. So you got to imagine like, this is like, we had Photoshop, but mm -hmm. what we would have to do is we'd have to scan the negatives, right? And then Photoshop it, right? And, and in the old days, when we first started, Photoshopping was all like, we had a professional retoucher who would actually hand paint the retouching wow. for you wow. on, on a printed image, right? right? It was crazy how we used to work. So then when we got Photoshop, it was like amazing. Mm -hmm. So what you find is that we got really lazy. I'd be setting up for the shoot. I'd do the shoot. And then I'd go, nah, I can Photoshop that out later. <laughs> right? Oh, so you yeah. get super lazy. Then you go home and you do post-production. You realize, oh. oh my gosh, this is taking two hours to retouch this thing when it would have just taken me one minute to adjust it before I took the photo. Right. Like make sure the light was good. Make sure you knew what the person was doing with their hands. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And okay. this is a reflection of life. We we just think of life. I'll deal with it later. Mm. I'll address it later. And then five years goes by and you've forgotten about it. But what happens is you end up building an attitude or behavior or belief about life because you didn't adjust something previously five years ago. Right. You, if you really want to get the success in this area of life, you really had to build the conditions for that success. Yeah. Uh, so that by the time you got to that place, you didn't have to spend two hours photoshopping that thing in life that you wanted it to work. Yeah. If only you just made the adjustments in during the actual photography stage. Exactly. So that you didn't have to do much work post-production after exactly so right. an example of this in, in our practical sense is like when a single person is stuck dating the same kind of people mm -hmm. a lot of that stems back to like one person in the past that they mm -hmm. dated mm -hmm. and they developed a sense like judgments what we would call that eventually turn into beliefs and behaviors and attitudes and so what they end up doing is repeating those same beliefs and behaviors and attitudes with future partners Right. And they're all assumptions. Right, right. And so that's where relationships just keep blowing up. That's where they keep getting hurt. When really, five years ago, what they should have done is just taken the time to forgive their partner. Oh, wow. Okay, so let's unpack that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I didn't, I didn't expect you going there with that. They, sh it, they should have forgiven that person who hurt them in the first place uh, in that original relationship that modeled that. Yeah. And now they're redoing that same thing. The same pattern. Yeah. Same pattern to your future relationships. Yeah. yeah. I was actually expecting you to talk about, um, because that's what they learned from the models that they've uh, seen in their life, let's say their parents, yeah. which is a part of it. It is. But the way you're, the thing you're suggesting is that, no, it's the actions that you've, um, done here mm -hmm. and then now it's going to continue to repeat itself until you change that within you. Yeah. Yeah. I'll give you an example. So I, I worked with a, a client like many years ago and she had come to me. She's a beautiful model mm -hmm. and she really wanted to be married. And she had come to me and we were talking and I realized that 
I, I couldn't get my head wrapped around this. I'm like, you're a beautiful woman, both inside and out. Like, mm-hmm. what's the problem? Like, you don't have a problem attracting guys. So I don't get like, why are you even here? Mm-hmm. And so what came out was she had a belief. And the belief was that every guy that she would date would break up with her at the end of three months. Every guy that she would date would break up with her at the end of three months. Yeah. Okay. And, and that became a self-fulfilling prophecy for her. Oh, okay. And so well, what happened is it, it actually stemmed from a previous relationship many years ago mm-hmm. where the guy had basically broken up with her in a really horrible and traumatic way mm-hmm. at, at a three-month mark. Mm-hmm. And so she made a promise to herself that this is how all guys are going to treat her. Oh, wow. So she carried that into like the next five years of her life. Huh. So at the at, at every relationship that she would be going through, she would find ways to self-destruct that relationship without even realizing it because she believed that her, her premise mm. was, all guys are going to break up with me in three months. Because that's a narrative he, she told herself over and over again. That's right. So I guess he started coaching her. How do I break that narrative? Yeah, it's just through forgiveness. Wow. And the minute we forgave, the minute we broke that narrative, what was wonderful is within about 30 days later, yeah. she met a wonderful man. Wow, amazing. Fell in love. They're married now. I think they have two kids. Yeah. She's living the life that she wants. She's living the she life has that the she wants. Clarity. She's, she, yeah. <laughs> that's really what that's it incredible. is. Um it, it takes me to your tag. Your tag. I have it I have it yeah. typed out here. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Yes. It's your tag is powerful coaching for those who have big dreams for the relationship and life. Yeah. And as I was thinking and pondering that in preparing to talk about you, I was wondering, okay, to what extent do you find yourself having to redirect their end goal dream as opposed to giving them steps to accomplish that dream? Now, I know that you take in clients who have, um, or I'm using the example of single clients, yeah, yeah. Um, but they want to get married, yep. right? But that's their end goal dream. But to what extent do you find yourself having to redirect their end goal dream as opposed to giving them steps to accomplish that dream? How does that work in your practice? Yeah, so it's, um, I think that those things actually work uh, synergistically Mm. because uh, number one, we have to get clear with what our dream is. Right, right. Then sometimes it's the fact that that dream's not clear enough. Mm, It's not practical enough. Okay, okay. And so that's where I have to help them drill down on really the practicalness of what that dream is all about. Right. Then there comes the skill set that mm-hmm. needs to be given for them to actually create that dream in life. Okay. Okay. And then. So for example, a person who wants to get married, mm-hmm. they have to drill down on what kind of person do I want to get married to? Right. 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 And then there's the skill set for that. If it's a marriage, if people are like they're already married, but their marriage is falling apart or they're in a lot of pain and hurt, they have to begin to revisit what was the dream for this marriage in the first place? Right. What did that dream look like? Now we can actually begin to drill down. Here's the skills. Here's the tools that you need to get to this dream. Okay. Uh, I wanted to shift the conversation away from single uh, single couples. We'll come back to singleness yeah. a bit here, but to married couples. Yeah. What What are some trends that you've seen with uh, married couples? What are the typical problems that you see them coming to you with? Yeah. So it all boils down to three. Okay. There's There's three main trends that I'm seeing universally. Right. Um, 
one is is people need to um they're coming in with the wrong definition of love okay love needs to be really really drastically redefined for for married people for couples even for singles and and so that how we define love has been a detriment to actually healthy marriages okay so that's one issue the other can you, issue can you, is uh just clarify yeah. what are the assumptions that you've seen that we as a society have about love yeah so we think that love is an end goal mm-hmm. and we think that love is a feeling right it's not love is a byproduct of something love is a byproduct of something yeah oh. so for example um if we think that love is a feeling, mm-hmm. we're constantly pursuing that feeling. Mm. So what if that feeling never comes? Does that mean that you were never in love? And feelings change. That's the problem with feelings. Yeah. Feelings come and go. Feelings have no inerrant truthfulness to it. Mm-hmm. It's just an indication that there's a need that's going on underneath. Oh. So okay. our feelings just give us an indication that, oh, I feel sad. Oh, there's, there's a need. That's there. Mm-hmm. I need comfort. Mm-hmm. But what we've done is we've turned love into this feeling. And now there's no objective standard of truth and how I'm going to love my partner. Ah, uh, Okay. Right. So it's really the age old question of does unconditional love truly exist mm-hmm. or is all relationships formated on conditional love? Mm. My contention is that if I approach my love with my wife conditionally, yeah. that is essentially prostitution because it is me exchanging a, my demand without any desire of caring about what my partner needs. Wow. That's a condition. Yeah. That's yeah. conditional love. Okay. Unconditional love is when I've made a choice. It's, it's purely a choice and mm-hmm. action where I've decided I'm going to love my wife every single day with no guarantee that there's going to be any reciprocity. Right. That there's no guarantee that she's going to love me back. I am just going to choose to come to my relationship and give. And, and that's a really hard thing to, to sw- a pill to swallow, it's if you will. hard. As, as humans, because, <laughs> you know, well, the feeling thing, the, the feeling of love, it's such a high. It, it's it, such a high. It is, but we have to realize that the feeling actually isn't love. Yeah. It's just chemical reactions. It's chemical reactions, but, you know, when you're in the, moment of feeling love you can't think past that you're you're well so let it's me, hard to think yeah past so that, let me define least. it this way yeah where we get tripped up is that all that we've done in life is we've not defined emotions mm-hmm. so if you notice how like when i when you ask people you know if you ask students like hey how are you feeling about this mm. and half the times the things that we get back from people are actually descriptions of of things that are going on but they're not really descriptive emotional words Okay. So when we talk about love, we've made love an emotion. But really what we're talking about is I want affection. I want to be cared for. I want to be wanted. Right. I want to be desired. Mm-hmm. But we've made all of that into this one conglomerate word, love. Right. But that's really not what we're looking for when you think about uh, also, it. It's also interesting how you phrase that as I want. It's very I want rather than I give. Yeah kind of statements yeah and so relationship for me is all about what am i going to bring to the table consistently irregardless of how i feel and irregardless of whatever comes back fascinating yeah yeah right now that's unconditional Mm -hmm. and it's scary yeah because what makes it scary is that we all think that 
I must get something back or I'm entitled to get something back. Yeah. And I just find consistently that if I choose to love my wife, I have consistently found that my wife just loves me back. Mm. I've never found a time where my wife has not loved me back. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't mean that my wife's perfect and it doesn't mean that I'm perfect. Mm-hmm. We're, we're all flawed human beings. Mm-hmm. We're going to make mistakes. But that what's powerful about acknowledging that is that all it means is that I have a choice mm-hmm. of what I get to do in this very moment. Mm-hmm. Am I going to care about my wife more than what I need? Right. And right. it doesn't mean that we can't make requests yeah. for what we need. It just means that if I'm predispositioned to only give love, if I get what I want first, yeah, that's not unconditional love. Right. That's conditional love. That's conditional. Yeah. And that's messed up because once you get into that pattern, mm-hmm. now you will always feel I am entitled to have this. And so you see that pattern in um in the married couples that oh, come yeah. to you for for counseling. Yeah. So uh backtrack you you said you had those three Yeah, so the first one is just it? defining defining love, love right? Yeah. That's three, messing us up. Defining love. The second one is bitterness. Okay. Just our unwillingness and our lack of understanding of how to forgive. Mm. That the, we have to learn how to forgive and to forgive quick. Yeah. And we don't because we've created a belief that our partner meant to do this. It, and, mm-hmm. and so we have this funny way. And when I say it this way, look, I'm going to say it exactly how I say it to my clients. And every time I say it this way, all my clients break out laughing mm-hmm. because we realize the, the comedic concept of how we formulate our beliefs in our mind. Mm-hmm. But when we get hurt by our, our partner, we go to this concept in our head where we think, my partner woke up at five o'clock in the morning, premeditated. How am I going to screw my partner over? <laughs> right? Like that's kind of what we believe. Yeah. And that's just not the case. Nobody wakes up five o'clock in the morning thinking about how I'm going to hurt my, my spouse. Right, right. That's just not how it works. But w- couples have come to you have somehow developed that like yeah. first thing in the morning. Okay. We, we, we believe that, my but wife. we don't ever yeah. say it out that way, right? right? But then when I when I say it in that descriptive narrative, people yeah. realize how silly that sounds, <laughs> right? Yeah. So the first, this, you know, really it's about understanding how do we forgive? Yeah. And it ties into the third point, which is that we've given too much power over the concept that my thoughts are true in reality. Mm. They're not. Mm-hmm. My thoughts have no basis to reality at all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there's more than enough neuroscience on this. Like we get on a daily basis, we get 60,000 to 90,000 thoughts a day. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds about right. That's nuts. That's a lot to process. So to think that all of those thoughts are factually based, it's just not true. Yeah. So and when people come with a predisposition that my thought is real, it's mm-hmm, true. Mm-hmm. And I, and, and you can't tell me that it's not. Now we're stuck. Right. And within those sixty to ninety thousand thoughts, I guess that bitter couple will come in and be fixated on that untrue thought that my cup, my husband, my spouse is out to get me, and yeah. he's he's yeah. trying to screw me over today. Yeah, and, and that's just not fixated. that's just not the case. No, and so it's it's really these three things. People need to redefine love. Mm-hmm. They need to learn how to forgive quicker. Right, and they need to realize that not all their thoughts are true. Right. In fact, our thoughts are merely opinions about reality. Ah, okay. Reality is beautiful because mm-hmm. reality is 
factual. Mm-hmm. But if you notice, reality doesn't come with an emotion or a meaning. Right. It's just facts. So if you and I went for lunch today, mm-hmm. there's not like a little box on the menu that says for an extra $5, you could pay for happiness for this meal. Mm. It just doesn't happen. No. Right. No. So like if I take my wife out on a date and we go to like the Richmond Night Market or something like that or Playland, mm-hmm. when I pay for admission to go into Playland, mm-hmm. did I pay an extra $5 for happiness for the evening or did I just pay to get in? Right. I only paid to get in. That's it. But we think that everything in life comes with the feeling. Ah, uh, yeah. And it's just not the case. Yeah. Feelings only come because I create it. Right, right. And that's the distinction with thought and feelings. Is like feelings is like, if you notice, I I can't have a feeling without a meaning. I can't have a Feeling, feeling without, without a, meaning. a meaning, yeah. It because it, feelings don't just randomly come; they come because I believe something about something. Right. We we are we ascribe meaning to the feelings that That's we right. have. That's right. So, but it's actually the other way around. Oh, we we attach a feeling to the meaning. meanings we create. Yeah. Out of the thoughts we have. Yeah. Aha, okay. And then and but thoughts randomly show up. Oh, okay. Right. And so what we what we do is we typically spend too much time focused on the wrong thoughts. Hmm. We're fixated on it so much. And the couples that come in are fixated on those. And then that's what they create, those feelings and meanings. Or the yeah. feelings are a byproduct of those thoughts. And then they ascribe those negative meanings to it, which sour the totally. relationship. Totally. Wow, okay. Totally. So you see the um you see the in the married couples the lack of definitions of love, you see the bitterness yeah. and you also see the thought process, the th- your thought process. That's the yeah. third thing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. Which is that, that's an extension of yeah. that bitterness. And, and these are the three patterns that mm-hmm. we actually see in life. And you can see this in how we reacted to COVID. You could see how we've reacted with political areas. Mm-hmm. Our thought is messing us up. Mm-hmm. There's tremendous levels of bitterness where there could be just forgiveness. Yeah. And there's a completely wrong definition of love of how we interact and connect with people yeah. in life. Yeah. I, I find it super interesting that you're bringing up um, how it's messing up how we interact with each other, yeah. even when it comes to the way we responded to the political climate, to what's happening with COVID. Uh, something that I, I've realized that I've become more passionate about um, and this shows up in my English classroom. I'm not an IB English teacher. And also, I guess, in the podcast is this lost art of conversation. Yeah. And this lost art of how do we interact and engage with each other. And so in at the school I work at, we have this huge list of approaches to life skills. Yeah. And uh, one of those skills, at least in the English classroom that I focus on, is communication skills. And one of those particular skills is how do we, how does a student interact and exchange and negotiate ideas with their peers and yep. teachers? Yep. And within that, there's this whole um, ways of, uh, within that skill, it comes with all these uh, things that you need to practice. Like, let's say, dialoguing with different people. Um, who have a different perspective, yep. understanding and listening to what they have to say. And so and I guess in a nutshell, or in it relate to what you do, you're coaching people on how to have a conversation sometimes as well. 
Absolutely. and how to how to work within that. But it's interesting that you talk about the the political climate, and it's interesting of how you talk about the political climate, and I guess will kind of relate to what you're doing with coaching. Uh, politics comes into play with values as well, and mm-hmm. you you've seen that head bashing with values in politics with couples do you see it a lot as well yeah i would say so yeah and i guess when people are having discussion when they don't understand the other point of view what are or or what people say i i think i hear what you're saying yeah oh yeah let let me let me see if i can frame it into like a question for you like yeah i'm losing my train of thought now i've been so in such (laughs) on wonder what you're saying that i'm kind of just like lost well i i think (laughs) what you're trying to say is like am i seeing this happen within couples and in society where people Mm -hmm. are not listening to each other yeah they're so stuck on just their own thought and perspective yeah and that's yes that's exactly what's going on is that we've stopped listening to people we mm-hmm. because we don't know how to we we've not we've lost the art of listening mm-hmm. and we've primarily allowed that to happen because we've bought into this concept that what i believe is mm-hmm. true and mm-hmm. you can't question that so let's i'll throw out a couple of movements or just even one movement that we've we've talked you know that that's pretty dominant in our society so if we talk about the me to movement mm-hmm. The premise of that movement was wonderful. The yeah. intent of it, amazing. Right. I love it. My concern is that we've allowed that movement to actually remove some of the primary ways that we can give people due process. Right. And so what we've done is we've allowed um, our voice in social media to be a standard of right and wrong and we've removed the ability for somebody to have due process of proving that they are wrong and assuming that they are innocent. Mm. And what we've done is we've reversed our our whole concept of how we uh, bring law or change where it's it's no longer innocent until you're proven guilty. You're just guilty and it's now on you to prove to us that you're innocent. Yeah. And it it's it's so deadly because what we've done is we've stopped listening. We've stopped to identify what really was the pain in her and what was the context to that situation. And we're seeing that happen in everything and how we make assumptions about police officers mm-hmm. and how we make assumptions about doctors. You know? Uh it's just it it, it it's really caused a lot of problem and it's, it's really a macro concept of what's going on within our marriages and our relationships with each other. Right. Mm, so what's happening in society is a reflection of what's happening in marriage. Yeah. Or just even within our family, right. like we've stopped listening. We've stopped, you know, taking the, our, our, we stopped taking the responsibility of doing the right thing and mm-hmm. reaching out to somebody who has offended us to try and reconcile. Right. right. We've decided to say, no, I'm entitled to like to feel like bitter. <laughs> I, I was talking to a coworker who was on the podcast about this and we end up talking about the idea of cancel culture. Yeah. Cancel culture. Again, it's when someone does or say something wrong and it's offensive, then people are going to um, say, 
we're counseling that person, we're not listening to that person anymore. And what that does is that it closes the door to forgiveness. Well, you know, cancel culture is a whole different ball of wax for me because the problem that I see with cancel culture is that we're removing the the concepts of freedom of speech. Oh, I see. Because the minute we say, I don't like what you're saying, mm-hmm. I'm not going to listen to you and I'm, I cancel you. Yeah. What we're what we're doing is we're we're alienating somebody. We right. have chosen to dehumanize them. Yeah. And we've made them immediately an enemy. Mm-hmm. And instead of actually having a healthy discourse of things that we would disagree with as well as things that we would agree with, we've simply said no. You have no right to say any of that. Mm. And so it's actually a direct attack on our freedom of speech. Mm, okay. And so once we start removing freedom of speech, the the, the really we're a couple of steps down the road of like, well, who's going to now distinguish or define, you know, what's right and wrong. Right. Now we're going to have a board or an entity or governing board to determine that. Yeah. And, and, and it doesn't take too much to realize that that that's really dangerous. Mm -hmm. And that actually parallels with a lot of political things that I, I think a lot of people wouldn't agree with. Right. But we're heading down that path. We're heading down that path because we're just unwilling to just listen. Right. We're unwilling to have healthy discourse without the thought that this person is an enemy yeah. or this person means to do me harm. So we got to come back to the thought process. I guess changes yeah. that thought coming looking introspectively and thinking, what are the thought processes that guide me? Yeah. And how does that manifest it? in self, in relationships, my personal romantic relationships, right. in the way I approach professionally, uh, in how I understand discourse. And if I approach something with this thought process that it's me versus them, then of course the language that's going to come out of you is going to start dehumanizing and painting the people in the picture that you're the enemy. Yeah, And that's not what we want. If no. your goal is you want to have this intimacy and relationship and connection with people or if your goal is to build bridges between this um institution or people who believe something fundamentally different from you yeah. then if you go and approach it with you're the enemy then you're not going to have that clarity to 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 build that yeah relationship no exactly and, and, and really all that you just said there was that every time we dehumanize our partner mm-hmm. we it was our choice to disconnect from them. Right. And and it's so hurtful and painful when we do that. And here's the irony to the whole thing. If I choose to disconnect from my wife, yeah. I'm not hurting her. Yeah. I'm hurting me. Yeah. Now, as a byproduct, I'm hurting our relationship. Mm-hmm. But really, I'm hurting me. Mm-hmm. And the reason is because I only have control over my life. Mm-hmm. I don't have control over my wife's life. So every time I dehumanize somebody in my life, I'm actually dehumanizing myself. Because she, she's you've committed to yourself as an integral part of each other's life till death. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so, I, I guess there's a, I guess there's a trend or a correlation between people who aren't doing well in their relationships aren't going to do so well. Well, not all the time, but it's going to show itself in their professional life. Like there's a, I guess, would you say that's a fair assumption to make that people who are feeling in 
their relationships are also starting to stumble a little bit in their professions because um because the way they act in this way it starts to show up in this other realm yeah like i i think that that can happen i, I think not all the time no i think i think the thing about business is that we can actually um compartmentalize business mm, okay and and what's interesting about business is that we could treat it as its own entity right. and we can take care of it like it's a pet. Mm. Okay. Mm -hmm. The problem is that when I have an interpersonal relationship, like my wife, um, I, I need to approach that more than just a pet. Right. Okay. Because now that's somebody that I want to live and breathe with. Mm -hmm. Right. It's not just, I'm going to take care of something. Mm -hmm. And that's the difference. And that's why communication in business can't be translated. Mm hmm to communication and relationships because I could be at work as a teacher here working with you. But if I end up not liking you, mm -hmm. I don't have to connect with you right. at the end of the day, I clock out at three o'clock. I'm go home mm -hmm. and I can't do that in a marriage. You, no, <laughs> you no, don't have office there. hours and you can't <laughs> clock out of your marriage. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so I have to, we have to rethink how we communicate in interpersonal relationships. Yeah. You don't have the right to clock out. Mm -hmm. That's just not how love functions. No. Right. And I guess COVID, because of course we're going to talk about COVID. Let's talk about COVID. <laughs> of course, COVID is, um, you, you see this rise with COVID. People are now stuck together. If you live yeah. with another person, whether that's your spouse or it's your partner, you're stuck with, especially during at the height of it yeah. in BC when yeah. the lockdowns are really tight. Uh, who knows what's going to um, be like by the time this recording gets released. Right. Um, uh, people were living together in ex for an expanded period. They're spending close proximity to each other, and that's a lot, yeah. right? Uh, I I I'm I live on my own, yeah. so I didn't really get. The, to experience that for better or for worse yeah. but i come being alone comes with your own sense of problem but exactly. being in a partnership whether it's marriage or whatever living situation people have chosen to define themselves in you're in post proximity together all the time and so as covid has come uh with the onset of covid what kind of relationships patterns have you seen recently with your clients yeah. Yeah. Great, great question. I, I think the, the answer to that is that I'm seeing the exact same problems that my clients had before COVID. Okay. So it's the same. Yeah. So different for, context, same issues. Exactly. So for me, COVID has been the thing that has exposed how we have been doing life in society in general. Yeah. yeah. So, the you know, when we look at, and we talked about this before we got online is that, um, when we look at businesses failing, mm -hmm. the reality it what it's not because of COVID that these businesses are are bombing. Mm -hmm. It's just that their business model wasn't working already. Right. They're spending too much money on a lot of different things. They're expanding too fast. Right. We saw that happen with Target even before COVID when Target was expanding into Canada. Mm -hmm. I think Target could have worked in Canada. I just mm. think that they expanded way too fast with too many. Um, uh, uh, buildings right mm -hmm. across Canada mm -hmm. when they should have just started with just Vancouver and Toronto and then expand it from there. Mm. So I think they just, they stretched themselves. And I think for other businesses that are failing right now, they, they're stretching themselves all in the wrong areas. 
Hmm. I think that they've not had foresight to look into the future to see where they need to adjust their business. So a lot of the restaurants that suffered did not have an online presence. They did not have a website. They did not have the capabilities of moving that website into uh, pay as you go or, you know, dine, you know, basically takeout. Hmm. Right. Where it could all, all the interaction would have been done on the website. Mm-hmm. So, so when you think of the COVID hitting, then it's going to take them two months or three months to try and get that infrastructure up. Now you've lost money. Ah, okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. So from my standpoint, COVID was awesome in the sense that all it did was expose where we were not doing well. Right. And that happens in our relationships. So again, like for singles, relationships were not that great before mm-hmm. COVID. Mm-hmm. People are still suffering, mm-hmm. right? dating apps are not working, mm-hmm. right? So dating apps just kind of exacerbated the problems of hookup culture, if anything. Yeah. I mean, I think what it did was it gave us an illusion that we're having relationships oh, without okay. even really understanding what the relationship is that I want. Mm. Right. So just because I'm talking to somebody mm-hmm. every night doesn't mean that I actually have a relationship with them mm-hmm. because I haven't defined anything yet. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So I look at relationships as two things when we're looking for love we're not really looking for love mm-hmm. we're looking for responsibility and we're looking for commitment mm-hmm. and so if i have a relationship with somebody but i've not at all had a conversation about what do we call this mm-hmm. where does my responsibility and commitment lie in your perspective of this relationship mm-hmm. if i don't talk about that and everything's left to assumption that means i'm basically saying i don't want any responsibility mm-hmm. I don't want to actually have any commitment. That's why I'm not even bringing that conversation up. Mm-hmm. So now there's two people just going on and on and on and on with no sense of finality of what do we define this as? Mm-hmm. That's hookup culture. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You're not really committed to it. You're just hooking up with it. Mm-hmm. Right. And so when we look at that with COVID-19, that all happened before COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Now the struggles for single people with COVID-19 is, how do I build a relationship without giving myself physically? Right. And so you've had to develop relationships <laughs> by actually talking to each other yeah. and um, and building connection and emotional intimacy. Yeah. Rather than give uh, building uh, physical, uh, find that physical spark before building an emotional yeah. commitment and intimacy. Yeah. So, so the common problem that I have even before COVID-19 is that Singles would come in and say like, well, I've never had a problem getting a date. The only problem is that I I would sleep with them, but it would all end up the same way. Mm. There's no commitment. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the problem is that we've taken sexual intimacy as kind of like, you know, come have this for free mm. and I'll sign you up later. I'll upsell you for marriage later. That's basically <laughs> yeah, what it yeah. sounds like, right? Yeah. It, it's a pitch that we would get at any vendor at, you know, Richard Night Market. Hey, buy this and mm. I'll give you three more, right? right, right. Or try this <laughs> and then I'll upsell you to this, oh, right? Like, like that's kind of how we... condos and yeah, yeah. all those people there. Oh, yeah, wow. and that's kind of how we're doing relationship, mm-hmm. right? When really, if we had just simply taken the time to develop a, really a healthy relationship right in the beginning, Mm-hmm. To get things all ironed out, like, look, this is what you want. Okay, great. This is what I want. Are we in alignment with this? Great. Okay, let's let's work on something now. 
then later on when the couple decide to have sexual intimacy then that becomes meaningful mm. that becomes the icing on the cake mm -hmm. that's no longer just the main course immediately right and so what we've done is we've substituted real meaningful relationships mm -hmm. with just physical interaction mm -hmm. and you can't have a meaningful inter um relationship just on physical interaction mm -hmm. that's just not what it's meant for right right you need that whole holistic yeah because thing. when we when we have com like how do we connect right we connect by experience and by conversation mm -hmm. we don't we're not really connecting out of physicalness yeah. physicalness is just an indication that i'm attracted to you right right but that has no indication as to whether i'm going to connect with you yeah. yeah so if i went on vacation and i did a land tour and i'm going as a single guy for me to connect with 30 people on my bus, mm -hmm. I have to go and have a conversation with them. Right, right. It's not physicalness. Right. You have to actually say hi and exactly. approach the person. I have to ask them questions like, hey, where do you live? Yeah. Or, <laughs> or what do you do? Or, right? And yeah. then later on, that spurns into like something more meaningful mm -hmm. where you, you connect on data points that are similar mm. and values that are similar. That takes time. It takes time, it takes and time we're just we're and so hard impatient. Work. And we're impatient because I guess we live in such a age where we can get everything pretty fast, and so we've sort of expected that with relationships as well that that could happen yeah. like just like that. But it's not; it doesn't work like that. No. Well, one of the reasons why we've become impatient with relationships is because we've dehumanized relationships. Mm, okay. We've we've stopped treating the other person as a human being who has needs just as yeah. much as I do. Yeah. And that I want to care for them and they want to care for me. Yeah. We've treated relationships as a commodity. Mm. And mm -hmm. it's not. Mm -hmm. Right? And it, uh, the irony to this, from a Christian perspective, if we look into Revelations, it actually talks about in the end times of how relationships are actually treated as a commodity. Mm. That's traded. What's that? Where, can you describe that verse or where that comes from again? Um, it it. Uh, it's out of Revelation. It's a chapter that talks about Babylon. Okay. All right. And so, is it like ba Babylon as uh, the the big beast? That that's oh, right. Okay. Okay. This is all coming. This yeah. Is all coming back yeah. And if you look at that, it's very interesting how it describes how Babylon trades mm -hmm. lives. Ah. Okay. It 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 we're trading it as a as a product of commodity, not as something that we value. Right. And so when we are impatient at building relationship, mm -hmm. all we're doing is treating a relationship as a commodity. We start as something that we value. Yeah. We see relationships as something on the marketplace. Yeah. Which is essentially what a dating app is rather than a garden that we need to take care of and grow. Right. And, and this is exactly why I define that conditional love is basically prostitution. Mm-hmm. It and it's a harsh to way to say it, but I say it in such a harsh way because I want people to awaken to the fact that this is how we treat each other. Mm -hmm. Essentially, what we're saying is, I don't care about what your need is. I right. just care about my need. Yeah. So meet my need first, and then I might think about wondering what your need is. Uh, okay. So That's harsh. Yeah. <laughs> That's not even love. Yeah. <laughs> what, would you, what would you say to singles then who have considered using dating apps or who are kind of like maybe i'll just they maybe they've never used a dating app before or maybe they've dabbled in it but they're it's covid and oh how am i going to meet people 
do I use a dating app or do I not use a dating app? Because again, dating app, based on how we've just started talking about um, the commodity of relationships, dating apps seem to serve to further and promote that. So there's engaging in that is that is it even worthwhile then oh i think so like i i think that we just need to pivot in how we see a dating app and so for me a dating app is just a tool it's just a tool it's not the ends it's not the you know the ends Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. so what we have to realize is that dating apps all it's done is it's sped up the ability for us to meet people Mm. that's all it's meant to do Right. So it's really no different. So my process of meeting somebody in a date in modern day time, like right now, is no different than the older days. Mm-hmm. It, the only difference is that in the older days, we had social groups that we'd have to go to or we would be referred mm. uh, a person that we could be dating. Right. Mm-hmm. So nowadays that would take time. We don't have those social groups anymore. People don't go bowling or things like that. There's not social groups that we actually do much mm. anymore where there's a lot of interaction. And so nowadays, the dating app has essentially been a substitute for that. Mm. So the process is the same. It's just that you're just meeting people a lot quicker rate. But you still, at the end of the day, it's about having conversation. Mm -hmm. It's about being clear about what you want first, Mm -hmm. right? And it's about being clear about what the qualities are of the Mm -hmm. person that you're looking for. Mm -hmm. And then when you go online and you talk with people, it's it's safe. Because now there's no way for physicalness to get in a way to bring confusion. Mm. So what I always tell people is that there's three stages of dating that you're going to go through. Mm-hmm. And until you get to stage three, anytime you allow physicalness to come in your dating process before stage three, you will have nothing but confusion. Mm. You'll be confused as to whether this person is the right person or not. So what I tell single people is stay away from physicalness even holding hands or kissing until you get to stage three, because mm-hmm. then you'll be clear whether this person is the right fit or not. First. Right. Right. And so COVID-19 has been awesome because what it's done is it's, it's forced people to have to figure out, can this person even hold a conversation with yeah. me? Right. And, yeah. and do I even want that in a marriage? Mm. So if I want that, if I feel it's, it's a necessity for me to have a meaningful conversation in my marriage, well, what am I doing dating somebody who can't even do that? Hmm. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Right? And and so in the pre-COVID-19, what we would have done is allowed physicalness to get in the way. And then we start playing a game of like, well, he's got potential. Mm. She's got potential. Mm-hmm. Maybe he'll change. Maybe she'll change. And then it's four years later and we realize this person hasn't changed. <laughs> yeah. But now we're too emotionally involved mm-hmm. to say, I'm sorry, you're not the right fit for me for marriage. And that's why breakups get hard. Yeah. Because you realize after such a long time that you've invested in this person that this is not a right fit. Because we physically, emotionally invested. Yeah. And that's why if we just build relationships right in the very beginning before that even comes into play, yeah, you are so clear. So when you start dealing with divorce clients, mm-hmm. you're trying to deal with the ramifications of that. And yeah, with divorce clients, it's about on. healing. Mm. It's about finding purpose in life. Yeah. Again, and it's about setting our thoughts to the future. What right. What is it that I need to develop in life? What is it that I've put off developing right. in my life that I I now have time to develop to develop because mm-hmm. you're not engaged in that relationship anymore. Yeah. And as tough as that is. Uh, the goal of that is healing. Yeah. Yeah, it's all healing. How do you define healing with them? 
That's he- really interesting. Healing is when you can tell me your story without breaking down and crying. Oh, okay. That's so healing. You know that a person has been healed when they can share the story with another person and not break down and move forward with that. Yeah, like if you, really don't, if you don't if you don't completely lose yourself in anger, yeah. or go the opposite, like lose yourself in like complete sadness and you're breaking down and crying, yeah. you've healed. If you can tell your story. Yeah, and you can apply it to a lot of different things. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's a really good marker of how healing. Yeah, it's, I've a, always it's really simple because yeah. because when and you see it, right? Like yeah. like you see those two extremes, right? right? When people haven't been healed, they either go completely angry or mm-hmm. completely sad yeah or they won't even acknowledge it at all yeah yeah well, that could be yeah a numb thing that could mm-hmm. be a third option but typically people who are still suffering and hurt are always going to be angry or sad you mm-hmm. just see that as a common you know like uh process right like and there's a lot of other varieties but the most common ones are going to be i'm super angry or i'm super sad mm-hmm. right and so when you can tell your story without either one of those things mm. and there's a sense of peace in you, you know you've healed. You know you've healed. Yeah. You know you've gotten and to the other side. people can see that in you. Mm-hmm. They've known you. Yeah. That's a great marker. When you can be at peace, I tell my clients, you got to find a way to live for peace. Right. If you're not at peace, you can't live present. Right. Right? Fascinating. And the only way that we can make changes and decisions in our life is in the present. I mm-hmm. can't change my past. And I can't make decisions for the future because it hasn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. All I can do is make decisions in the here and now. Mm-hmm. But if I'm not at peace, I can't make that. Mm. So if I'm emotionally a wreck in a negative way, in any perspective, it's going to bounce me to the past or to the future. Mm-hmm. And that's why people get stuck. Mm. And so until you can tell your story without breaking down, you're going to be stuck. Yeah. And once you can tell your story, then you're heal and you keep moving forward yeah that's an amazing marker in a way and a really good way to think about because we always i guess in christian circles we talk about this idea of healing yeah but i've never actually thought about wait how do i know what's a marker yeah that i'm healed so it's just being able to tell that story yeah okay so uh continuing the conversation something i've wanted to ask is this question of joy yeah uh, something that i've been discovering for myself uh, in this past time of COVID is what does joy look like in the state of singleness, in the state of marriage? Um, and uh, this idea of of the breath of God's love in singleness yeah. and the depth of God's love in, sing- in marriage. Yeah. Uh, I was talking to some people about this, including uh, a pastor, a pastor friend, a pastor of my church, and um, singleness or singles have this opportunity to discover the breath of God's love in that they get to, they have this time to interact with a wide variety of people and build into a lot of different people's lives and give their time to a lot of different things and live with different causes. Yeah. Uh, couples, married couples don't have that opportunity. They're, they're, they have each other's schedules to contend with. They have children. It kind of multiplies the schedule, but that marriage is that opportunity to dive into the depth of God's love. And so as a relationship coach, as a relationship coach who comes from a Christian church background, in what ways would you affirm or nuance that idea and how does that show up in your coaching? Yeah, great question. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So how I look at it is um, when we're single, mm. what what we're getting to discover is God's faithfulness and how much he loves us. Mm. Okay. And when we're single and we're dating, we're contending with the idea that if I find somebody that I'm in love with and I end up breaking up with that person, mm-hmm. is there going to be another person out there that will love me? Hmm. And in that moment, we're faced with a hard question, which is which is just that, really. Is there someone out there that loves me? Mm. And does God care about me enough to want to help me in this area? Mm. So faithfulness comes into play because it's about understanding now how you define God. Do you define him as a person who's only going to help you when things work out? Or you define him as a person who helps you all the time because he loves you. Wow. Okay. So do you find define God as a God who only helps you when uh, you need help? Or do you define God as a person who, as a God who helps you just because he always loves you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so comes back to a definition piece. It comes, it comes back to the defining faith. Yeah. So we typically, as Christians, we define faith as God, if, if I pray, and you answer that prayer, mm-hmm. I now have faith. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, the beautiful thing about God is that he treats us like a child growing up. Mm-hmm. So in the beginning stages of our walk with Christ, he does react with us that way. Mm-hmm. You pray, I answer, and now my faith is built up. Mm-hmm. But as we become an adult, that conversation pivots. Mm. And so now I have to come to an acceptance that God's character of him being faithful mm-hmm. isn't be, isn't predicated upon him answering my prayer. He's faithful because his name is faithful. Mm. So therefore, I know God is faithful to me, mm-hmm. whether he answers his prayer or not. Mm-hmm. And when I'm able to accept that, there's tremendous possibilities that open up in front of my eyes. Right. Because now I'm defining God as, I know you care about me. Mm-hmm. I know you know the details of my life. I know that you're a God that's always active. You're never slumbering. You're never sleeping. You're never passive. You've got this figured out. Mm. Right? The word of God tells me you've already ordained the footsteps. Mm. So I know you have a plan. The question is, do I trust you right. with this plan? That's faith. Now I'm trusting not a word. I'm trusting the character of a person. Mm. That's the distinction as a single person when we go through dating mm-hmm. is that when we have a breakup, it's so painful and it leaves us sometimes in, in heart-wrenching hopelessness and despair and loneliness. And it's in those moments that we discover, well, who do I believe mm. God to be in my life? Does he truly love all the minor details in my life? Not just the big things, but all the intricate details of my life, does he love me so much that he would want me married more than even I do? Mm. And if I believe that, then I have to believe, God, you are so faithful Mm -hmm. that whether it happens today or next year, it's irrelevant. I just know that you're going to bring something about. And even though I don't understand it, I know that I trust you. Mm. 
Now that's what single people get to go through. Mm-hmm. Married couples go through the same process, but in a deeper manner, because now married couples are in an intimate relationship that they're bound to. Right? It's a vow that we've committed to. Mm-hmm. I have a responsibility and commitment now to my spouse. And so now married couples are experiencing the depth of what love truly means. Mm. And so it's an exposing of when I long for somebody to love me with all my faults and failures, equally as much as my successes, do I believe that my partner's going to show up that way? Mm-hmm. And chances are, if I don't believe that my partner's going to show up that way, I'm not going to believe that God's going to show up that way. Right. I guess... Uh, it's a reflection. Reflection. Your understanding of your partner is your understanding of your reflect is a reflection of your understanding of God and yeah. vice versa. Yeah. yeah. And so if I don't believe that, now I'm messed up. Because mm-hmm. now if I don't believe that my partner's going to do it, now I don't believe that God's going to do it. Now mm-hmm. I only have one option, and that is just to be hurt, mm-hmm. to live in pain and suffering. Mm-hmm. And that's not the only option that you have. And so the journey for married couples is understanding that love is unconditional. Mm-hmm. You were loved right from the very beginning, even before you made any decision or choice. Right. And once we start to understand uh, that love in both the context of singleness and in the context of marriage, then joy comes out of that. Yeah. So and let me. Had a, yeah. And we were that, feel security. In that's a yeah. great point. Mm-hmm. Great point that you mm-hmm. brought up. And, and let me add a little component to what I sure. just shared to, that will make that come to life. What yeah. you just shared. Um. As a married person, when I'm struggling with unconditional love, mm-hmm. um, what I'm really saying is that I've made a decision to accept the fact that I love who I am mm. and I no longer need to perform for my love. Mm-hmm. That's joy. Yeah. So if I have to keep performing for my love, that's not joy anymore. That's mm-hmm. striving. Mm-hmm. That's a demand. When I'm in full joy, joy comes out of me coming into place of tremendous gratitude and thankfulness of accepting that I no longer have to perform. I'm equally happy right where I'm at, whether mm-hmm. things change or not. Mm-hmm. And when I can come to that place in my marriage, I no longer feel the pressure that I have to perform for my spouse. And equally in my relationship with God, I no longer feel like I have to perform for God mm-hmm. in order for him to bless me. Because mm-hmm. that's just not the case. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think joy is so powerful. That it comes from out of this whole place of I'm fully accepting who I am. I love it. I embrace it. I'm, I'm completely full of gratitude of who I am. Mm-hmm. Whether things change or not. Mm-hmm. That's an amazing statement. That's joy. That's joy in a married couple. Anytime I feel yeah. I have to change, I, I can't be in joy. Mm-hmm. Right? Because yeah. joy is just not about that. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something really off the cuff here. Yeah. And just, I'm just going to go for it anyway. But yeah. I'm going to kind of model what you said about joy as a married person. Yeah. And I'm going to try and follow the kind of template you just put. But I, as a single person, when I am in full joy, I accept that regardless of what my relationship status will change in the 
year, um, in the coming years, whatever that looks like, yeah. I have the security and trust knowing that God still loves me yeah. and that I'm still a complete and whole person yeah. and I can find full joy. And from that full joy, I have that creative, this term I like creative imagination to discover the world that God has exactly has set out there and just enjoy for what it is. Exactly. And from there, just let that joy emanate, bleed yeah. out, or if you will, cup overfloweth yeah. all those fun Christian terms. Yeah. Uh, so that other people can see that that joy. How does that person stay uh, so single, yet there's so much joy? Yeah. I want that joy regardless yeah. of whether I'm single, married, divorced. Because uh, something that I've been ruminating on is that at the, at the core of it, we're all looking for that joy, yep. whether that's where as a single individual or as a married individual, I'm lacking that joy and I yeah. want that joy. And so in a sense, you as a clarity coach are l- helping people define um, that dream that sparks that joy for them and help them achieve that yeah. so that they can live in that. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. Um, I kind of want to wrap it up at yeah. this with this and, and on a positive note. But again, Shouts out to Don McGregor, your photography coach, um, yes. for the influence he had on you for noticing the details in life that led you to understand the different, um, it, come up with the ideas that you have to coach people as they approach what they want and they dream for in life. Any other shouts out you got to the teachers, coaches, mentors, role models? That wow, you, shout you out know, to? definitely my mom and dad. Definitely. Shouts out to mom and dad. Mom and dad. They, yeah, they, I tell you, there is nothing like having a mom and dad that will guide you to understanding how to make decisions in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And 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 it was instrumental because everything that I, I believe I execute, it's purely because I saw my parents model it. Mm. I modeled how they did business. I modeled how they made friends, mm-hmm. right? And how they chose to stay connected with people, mm-hmm. right? So our moms and dads are foundational. Right. Foundational to our lives. Model that. Yeah. Shouts out to mom and dad. Yeah. Anyway, Rocky Lee. Coolest name ever, by the way. <laughs> <So yeah. laughs> Thank you. Clarity Coach. Uh, for those listening, if you want to find... Um, Rocky's work, you can go to claritycoach.ca. You can follow him on Instagram at I am the Clarity Coach. Um, till then, Rocky, thank you for coming on. Shouts out to mom and dad. Shouts out to Don McGregor. Um, other than that, that comes to an end. That's hit, it. Hit thank my you for out- having me on the show. You're welcome. Everyone, hit my outro music. <laughs> Hey everyone, if you like this episode, if you like the show, make sure to subscribe, like, favorite, or follow, whether you're using Spotify, Apple, Anchor, or wherever else you get your podcasts. For updates, you can follow on Instagram at shouttomyteacher or whatever I'm posting on Facebook. Consider sharing this show with family and friends by word of mouth or social media if you can relate to these experiences or if you enjoy listening to different voices talk about the role models that influenced or inspired them. This is the beginning of a new hobby for me, passion project, and it's just a lot of fun and I'd love to connect with a variety of people. If you want to come on the show, if you're a teacher and you want to talk shop, if you're not a teacher and you just want to shout out someone and promote something, you're welcome to message me to come on the show. I'm up for a session. 
Preparing for something like this is great for personal and professional reflection and development. But whatever we talk about, you got to give a shout out to a teacher, coach, mentor, role model that has influenced or inspired you. Until then, this is Anthony, high school teacher and hobby podcaster. Hope you're all having a good summer so far and hope you'll tune in for the next episode. Peace out.